Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So first of all, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> uh, this might not look like pajamas, but this is actually what I wear around the house. Um, I've never shot a vlog in my pajamas before. Uh, this is a first. But it's sort of an unusual day. I've been up all night. It's 8.15 in the morning. Holy smoke-a-doodles. And I have been up all night. I've been shooting videos. Uh, I think this is the 24th video I'm shooting tonight, which is kind of crazy. Um, the Reboot Resume course has started. And as always, when I teach a course for the first time, I create it along with the students going through the course. I create each bit of it in real time as it rolls out. And I've always done that. That's the way it works. When I teach a course for the first time, I create it as it goes. Um, I've been creating courses for a long time. I was a professor for 13 years, and now I'm doing this bright line eating thing going on five years, four and a half. And I've created a lot of courses in that time. It's wonderful. I love creating courses. And, um, I'm about to leave town and go to LA and then Maui for a writer's retreat. I'll talk to you about that on location next week. Um, and then Park City, Utah for a mastermind group and then back home. And, um, so reboot resume. So I was up all night shooting videos for reboot resume. So reboot resume has launched and my husband joined it. He decided to hop in. He didn't tell me he was going to until after it was done. And, um, he just posted in resume house, the Facebook group for reboot resume, because a lot of people were asking him about what it's like to be a three on the susceptibility scale. And so he kind of thought about that for a while. And I thought I'd share with you what he said in that post because it was wise and helpful. And I have to say, I've learned a lot about the experience of someone who's lower on the susceptibility scale through being married to him. And he's learned a lot about the experience of someone who's higher on the susceptibility scale through being married to me. And some of what he said has to do with his experience as a three. And some of what he said has to do with what it's like for a three to live with a 10 plus plus. So what he said is that being low on the susceptibility scale for him means that he gets the happy and free part of happy, thin, and free. He gets that sort of naturally. Now, the happy part, he's just a constitutionally happy guy and he takes pretty good care of himself. So he's happy, right? I get that not everybody who's low on the susceptibility scale is happy just because they're low on the susceptibility scale. But he is. He's a happy guy. And um, his eating doesn't hit his happiness or his freedom. He stays happy and free, kind of regardless of how he eats. What takes a hit is his weight. If he puts crap food into his body, his body responds by packing on weight. That's the way his metabolism works, right? And eventually he reaches a point where it's like he's going to have to buy new golf shorts come spring and he doesn't want to have to do that. So he's got a natural 
ebb and flow to his weight. Where because he golfs and he golfs a lot of rounds every week in the summertime, there's a huge caloric difference between his activity level in the summer versus the winter. So every fall when golf stops, you know, well it's late fall, um, his activity falls off and. He doesn't adjust his food necessarily accordingly, and he puts on some weight. And every spring, when he picks back up golf again,、um, his weight drops down. So, for him, you know, his eating is mostly about fluctuations in his weight, not so much fluctuations in his self-concept or his happiness or his freedom, and. His cycles. If you've been following along the reboot resume narrative, we're talking about these sine waves, right? These cycles. And for a ten plus plus, it's often a crash and a burn, and a restart with a lot of motivation, and then a fall into the ditch, into the danger and destruction zone, falling off the wagon hard. He doesn't experience that. His natural waves with food are gentler. Um. They take longer. Like he can be off track with his food for a long time before he kind of notices or cares, or before it has any impact, because it doesn't really escalate. Like he'll eat something that's not really healthy, but that doesn't make him want to eat lots more things that are unhealthy after that. As a matter of fact, it's kind of the opposite. He'll eat something that's unhealthy, and he'll be like, "Whoa, that's kind of that's enough for a bit." You know, he's got sort of a moderation thing in him. So that is kind of a helpful awareness that for someone who's lower on the susceptibility scale, they're still eligible for weight gain. As a matter of fact, it's shocking how meager the correlation is between susceptibility scale score and BMI. There's a correlation there for sure. People who are obese or morbidly obese are more likely to be higher on the susceptibility scale, but not as much as you might think. And actually, the two most likely BMI categories to be super high on the susceptibility scale are morbidly obese and underweight. Yeah, underweight is the flip side of the food addiction coin. It's right on that same coin. Restriction, food restriction. An obsession with purging and, you know, laxatives and overexercising and maintaining a too thin weight, is the flip side of the coin, of eating too much, right? So the two, and that's that's high on the susceptibility scale, right there. Someone who's underweight is as likely to be crazy high on the susceptibility scale as someone who is morbidly obese. But even still, we're only talking about. Fifty percent of the population who are morbidly obese are super high on the susceptibility scale, which means that people are getting super heavy without necessarily being super high on the susceptibility scale. Why? Because there's a glut of ridiculously unhealthy calories everywhere you turn in this society, right? So even if you're moderate or low on the susceptibility scale, your weight could be a problem. So, what did David say that he learned being married to me, and how does he handle my food addiction as it ebbs and flows? Given that he's a three and I'm a ten plus plus plus, 
You know, the main thing he shared is that over the years he's learned that he just can't do anything about my food addiction, right? Um, if I'm about to drive off the cliff, there's nothing he can do. So he focuses on not being codependent. And he braces himself for the recovery and for the period of time that I'm going to be checked out and like not helpful around the house, not myself. I'm going to be a mess for a bit until I get it back together, until I resume. Oh, he's learned over the years that he wants me on my food plan. <laughs> like I have been, you know, for a stretch of time. He wants me on my food plan because it's hard on him, on the kids, on the household when I'm off the rails with my food. That's the way it is when you're a 10 plus plus on the scale. The consequences of eating off plan are severe. When you're a three, not so much. You can have a little and then, you know, get back on track. Few consequences. So he wants me on my plan and he never invites me to deviate. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. If he sees me, you know, kind of seeming off, he'll check in. How you doing? Your food all right? Knowing full well that if it's not, he can't cure it or control it. And he certainly doesn't cause it. My food fluctuations happen irrespective of him. And he's learned over the years that it is in his best interests, my best interests, our kids' best interests, if my food program is strong. Which means that if things are getting stressful, he sometimes asks me if I want to go make some phone calls. And he understands when I have to take good care of myself. Because he knows that in my sine waves, for there to be cushion between me and the danger and destruction zone with food, I have to do a lot of things to take care of myself. I need to meditate. I need to make phone calls. I need to write down my food the night before. Gone are the days where he expresses any irritation at all about me deciding on a trip to just go to a grocery store and take care of my own food, just weigh and measure my own food in the hotel room. That kind of thing used to, you know, kind of irk him back in the day. We're talking like a decade ago. Nah, he's seen enough of my food ups and downs to know that it is in my best interests to just handle my food clean and clear and simple. It was interesting in the comment thread underneath his post, how many people in our community are super high on the susceptibility scale married to someone who's super low. It was like a really common pattern. The tens were saying, yep, my spouse is a two, my spouse is a one, my spouse is a three. And it's my hope that for people who are in that sort of marital arrangement, understanding the susceptibility scale can be helpful because there really is no adequately articulating how different those two experiences 
of food are. For one, those high on the scale, it is absolutely life-defining, like a breath that is in the midst of a relapse with food is colored in every way by the very reality of being off track with the food again. And a breath, that's a bright line breath, that's clean and clear, that's colored by being on track with the food is in every way a breath of freedom and peace and security. And for someone who's low on the scale, that their world just doesn't show up in that kind of dichotomy. And it can be really hard to understand how stark the contrast is for those of us who are high on the scale. But what David articulated in his post is that he's been watching closely. We've been married for almost 20 years. We met 20 years ago, December 5th. And we were married shortly after. So we're coming up on our 20-year wedding anniversary, June 19th. It's a long time to be with somebody and to watch their cycles, right? And even though he doesn't get it at a fundamental level, he doesn't have empathy, but he has sympathy. He's seen the patterns enough to know that bright line eating serves me well. And it's what I need to do. And now he's doing bright line eating in Reboot Resume. And his goals are to lower his weight in general and lower the amplitude of the cycles that he goes through from summer to winter. So bring the whole thing down by about 10 pounds and to shrink the amplitude by about 10 pounds. He's six foot three. These numbers, honestly, in the difference, they're pretty small for him. He's like fit or really fit, basically. But he sees the benefit of eating this way. And over the years, he's made changes toward bright line eating. When we go out to dinner, he doesn't eat bread anymore. He doesn't drink diet soda anymore. He's made changes over the years where, you know, he doesn't really prefer starches at his meals. It's protein and produce. And for him, dialing in this last little bit of like, okay, I see the cycles now. Can I track it a little bit more closely and dial it in to where I want it to be? And as a three, that's his prerogative. People use bright line eating in all kinds of different ways. And one of the messages that I've known from the beginning that I want to get out into the world is people are really different when it comes to food. And this susceptibility scale, it articulates a huge difference. And it's so helpful to know where we are on that scale and where our loved ones are on that scale. Because if there's a difference there, it's really helpful to know how their experience lives in contrast to ours. And then ultimately to figure out how we can support them in being true to themselves on their food journey 
even if it looks really different from our food journey. So thank you, David, for posting in Resume House your post on what it's like to be a three. Thank you to everyone who replied. I read that thread really carefully. And that's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.